Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, you know the drill. Please stay with me. That's going to be some time of motivation, inspiration, some education. And we do it without manipulation. We don't try to manipulate anyone. We're not trying to hustle you. We're not trying to sell you anything, recruit you, nothing like that. We're just here to give you accurate information. And hopefully that information will assist you in verifying as well as identifying God's plan for your life. You know, several weeks ago, I guess two weeks ago now, two Sundays ago, we started a study studying Paul's athletic metaphors. When Paul wrote back to the church at Corinth, the church that he established and spent 18 months there, he began to hear about problems when he had moved over to Ephesus, so he wrote a couple of letters back, and uh, we're reading from one of the letters where he challenged them using an athletic metaphor. And in that athletic metaphor, he talked about an athlete who runs a race, and he tried to compare the Christian life to the race and said, you've got to keep your eye on the prize, and you must stay in bounds and you must train and we studied the doctrine of self-discipline as a result of this where Paul said that anyone who competes to the for the prize is temperate in all things that's actually what we wound up with the last Sunday that I was on the air with you temperate in all things uh, that word means self-control and he was talking about how athletes abstained from certain food certain drink they even abstained from physical pleasure when they came to train for the games. And this verb, temperate, doing without, is a present middle indicative in the morphology of the Greek text. This means this. Now, this is what we call a deponent verb. It has an M-A-I ending. So it's, it's middle, but it acts as active. The voice is active. And so we have an active voice. They must do this. They must do this. And the indicative mood is what we call the mood of reality. I'm sorry if it bores you with this, but it's important because this lets you know what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you must have present, every day, active voice. You must do it. And then, excuse me, the middle voice, present, middle, indicative. The middle acts as an active because it's a deponent verb, so it's a present, active, indicative, and the indicative is the mood of reality. So here's the reality to this passage before we move on today. Try to get this. If you ever hope to reach spiritual maturity in your life as a believer in Jesus Christ, you must have self-discipline. Now, what does that mean? That means that you have a volition. Every one of us has a volition. God gave us a volition. It's part of the format of our soul. We have mentality. We have volition, we have conscience, you even have a self-consciousness. These are the invisible part of you. And in this volition, you are a product of the decisions that you make. You're not a product of the environment that you grew up in. You're not a product of who your parents are. You're a product of the decisions that you make in your life. And your volition can go positive or your volition can go negative. Remember that God gives us all equal privilege and equal opportunity. 
We have the opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior and the privilege to take God's word, learn it, and use it and apply it into our life so that we renovate our thinking. And then we begin to think in terms of the mind of Christ. That's the New Testament. That's the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says it is the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So the Christian life, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. It's a mind game. The real you is what you think, not what you look like, not what people think about you. The real you is what you think, what goes on in your mind. That's why God says he can read your mind. This is what the omniscience of God is all about. He knows what you're thinking. He goes back and forth. The Bible clearly says that. He can see our thoughts. And if you're going to be a winner believer, a believer that's going to hear your father say, well done, my good and faithful servant, then you're going to have to have some self-discipline to control your volition so that it doesn't move into the trends that you have in your soul. Everybody has a sin nature trend. We all have a sin nature. We got it from Adam. For by one man sin came into the world and death by sin, and now death is passed on all. The Bible's clear. You have a sin nature, but not everybody has the same trends. Some people have a trend towards lasciviousness. That's the wild side of the tracks. That's the honky-tonk type folks. And then some people have a trend towards legalism. That's the self-righteous people. Now, to be honest with you, I'd rather hang out around the honky-tonkers than the self-righteous people because the self-righteous people will judge you. Uh, They have unrealistic self-image of who and what they are. At least the lascivious guy knows what he is. And these, interestingly enough, were the people that responded to the message of our Savior. The tax collectors, the, the Pharisees didn't respond. They were the legalistic crowd. It was the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the people of the streets. And that made the Pharisees so mad. They were so legalistic. In your life, are you legalistic? Do you think God is impressed with you because you observe some taboo? In certain parts of the country, it's, it's sin to wear makeup. In certain parts of the country, it's a sin to do one thing or another. Let me ask you a question. What do you think turns God on? Do you think God is emotional, that you can actually manipulate God and get him to bless you because you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't cuss or you don't do something? That's not it. The legalist thinks he's going to heaven because he's earned his way there. He's been a good boy. He hasn't misbehaved. And surely God's going to like him because he's been good and kind to his fellow man. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's a gift from God, not of your works, lest anyone would brag about it. The Bible goes on to say, in that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in your name did I not do many wonderful deeds? And he said, I'll tell them I never knew you. Have you kidded yourself? Do you think you're going to heaven because you're a legalist? Because you observe certain taboos? Or are you going to heaven based on faith alone 
in Christ alone. The Bible clearly says in 1 John 5, these things are written so that we might know that we have eternal life. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God hath not life. How do I get Christ? I receive him as my Savior. And how does that happen? To as many as believe in him, the Bible says. Remember John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The legalist of our Lord's day did not believe that he was the Messiah. The lascivious crowd, many of them did believe it. They did believe it. They saw the miracles that he did. They saw the indications that he was, in fact, who he said he was, and they believed it. And it was counted unto them for righteousness, just like Abraham's faith was counted to him for righteousness. But anyone who thinks they're going to heaven because they don't do certain taboos, you're kidding yourself. There's only one way, and that's faith alone in Christ alone. If you haven't done that, please, please, simply do what the Bible says. Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the privacy of your home, in the privacy of your automobile, or at your office, simply bow your head. And tell the Father that you are believing that Jesus Christ is his anointed Son, and you will receive him as your Redeemer. It's that simple. The Bible says, He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. That's what being born again is. It's being a believer. You were born into sin and separated from God. When you believe in Christ, receiving him as your Savior, now you are born again, or you have a spiritual birth, and you're placed into fellowship with God through, by means of, Jesus Christ. So don't be deceived. Use your volition to make your decision, because God would never coerce you. God would never in any way infringe upon your rights. He gives you the privilege to make up your mind. Therefore, it's critical that you understand the, the impact that your volition has in your life. You must exercise self-control as a believer. You must exercise self-control even as a, a non-believer. Remember, I, I round up last Sunday giving you one verse. It was in 1 Timothy 4.8, and it says that bodily exercise is of little profit but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present and also for the life to come. Godliness is nothing more than the spiritual life, living the spiritual life. Remember when you believe in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior, you enter into a relationship with God that will never change. That is your position in Christ. But you also enter into fellowship with God. And that's your experience, not your position. And you can break fellowship with God by using your volition to commit sin. And when you sin, you come under control of your old sin nature. Now you are what the Bible calls carnal or fleshly. And unless you recover by means of rebound or confessing that sin to God then everything you do for God while you're under control of your sin nature 
is going to be judged as wood, hay, and stubble. It may be the right thing, but it was done in the right way. It wasn't done in the right way because it was manufactured. It was produced from the energy of the flesh, not from the filling of the Spirit. The only thing your Father will accept in eternity that glorifies Him are those deeds that were produced under the filling of the Holy Spirit while you were in fellowship with Him. You cannot be in fellowship with God if you have unconfessed sin in your life because that sin will quench the Holy Spirit and that sin will grieve the Holy Spirit and thus you will be a carnal Christian. So there's another question. Right now, look at your life and answer a question. Is there sin in your life that you haven't confessed to God? Remember, it could be a mental attitude sin like worry, like uh, anger, agitation. It could be a sin of the tongue like gossip, slander, maligning, criticizing. Or it could be an overt sin such as immorality. Is there a sin in your life that you haven't confessed to God? Because if there is, you are not in fellowship. And just like you used your volition to get out of fellowship, you have to exercise your volition to get back in fellowship. Just like your volition went negative and you said, no, God, I realize I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Then if you want to get back in fellowship, you have to make the same sort of decision. You have to use your volition to come before your heavenly father and say, yes, God, you're right. I sinned. And thus we say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. This spiritual life takes self-control. You must have self-control to not allow your sin nature to manipulate you. You must use your volition to be smart and wise about temptations when they come your way. You must have self-control to recognize the deceptions of the devil. He's a master at deceiving us. And using your volition to say, no, that's wrong, I don't agree with that, and not buying into the personality that brought it to you because you trust this person or you like this person and you think, well, surely they wouldn't mislead me, but they will, and they did. Using your volition is critical. You cannot live the spiritual life without using your volition to say no to the lure of the world. The world is always out there, and it is always distracting you, giving you the details of life, telling you that happiness can be found in the details of life, and that is not true. So we are a product of our volition. If you want to grow up spiritually, if you want to glorify God, if you want to be a winner believer in eternity and hear that, well done, my good and faithful servant, you must learn to control your volition, and thus, self-discipline. That's why the Bible says, in your knowledge, there is self-control. Second Peter 1.6. Self-control is learned. You must learn it, and we learn it from the Word of God. That's why Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's a verse of self-control. And the core attitude of the legalistic, arrogant Christian 
is the person that Paul described in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, as a lover of self without self-control. He put it in plain words. The legalist, or the lover of self, has no self-control. The lascivious believer who allows the distractions of the world or the lust of the flesh to, to lure him out of the spiritual life has no self-control. You must have it. You must have it. Here's the areas you must have it. You must have self-control to confess your sin any time it occurs, not at night, not the next day, immediately. When you sin, go to God and name the sin, because if you don't, even though you're a believer, you will break fellowship with God, you will quench and grieve the Holy Spirit, you'll be out of fellowship. Go to God immediately. Use self-control and name the sin. Secondly, use self-control to do what the Bible tells you to do. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. There's three verbs, grow, study, learn. That takes self-control. The Christian life is not a ritual that has no reality to it. The Christian life is a real thing. It is your soul, inside of your soul. It's the mentality of your soul being reformed into the image of Christ. That's why we had that Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3 verses. Stop thinking of yourself in terms of arrogance, beyond what you should. But think in terms of humility, as God has assigned to each one of us a standard of thinking from his word. Paul said self-control is essential. He said those athletes that compete in the Ithmian games there in Corinth, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, he said, we use self-control to obtain an incorruptible crown. So the winner's wreath that they win will go into the casket with them. But the wreath that you win is called the crown of righteousness. And we will ultimately surrender that to our Savior as we lay it before his feet. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, the 24 elders fell down before him, the one who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The believer who is a mature believer wants no personal recognition. He only wants to glorify his Lord, his Master, his Savior. Thus Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I run this race. That's his life he's talking about. Not as uncertainty. That means not like he didn't have a personal sense of destiny. He knew what God called him for. And by the way, a personal sense of destiny is problem-solving device number six in the flat line of your soul. You should have a personal sense of destiny. You should know what that is. And if you don't, contact me. I'll send you the messages on 
having a personal sense of destiny. So he says, I run not as uncertainty, and I fight not as one that beats the air. In other words, Paul said, I'm not just shadow boxing. I have a a deliberate objective in my life of what I'm trying to do. And then he goes on to say, and by the way, two keys for any believer, if you're going to be a mature believer, is to stay objective and to know your destiny. Here it was again. Listen, objectivity. I run not as uncertainty. That's objectivity. And I fight not as one who beats the air. He knows his destiny. Philippians 3.10. Here is your destiny. This is my destiny. This should be the destiny of every believer. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable even unto his death. Thus Paul said in 9.27 of 1 Corinthians, I discipline my body. In other words, I force my body into compliance. And this means he doesn't let his old sin nature raise its ugly head. Better to translate this word, I bruise my body. That word that he uses is very strong in the Greek New Testament. Actually means to beat the flesh until it becomes black and blue, and the body is spoken of as the adversary or the seat of the lust and the appetites which war against his mind. But this is an analogy that he's using here in the Christian life. So there is a war in your mind. There is the flesh that we must control. In Romans 7.23, the Bible is clear about how the flesh is there. He says, I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. In my members means my sin nature. What's in his mind is the word of God. And what's in his body is the old sin nature or the flesh waging war against what's in his mind. So the lust of the flesh fights against the will of God. Listen to Galatians 5:17. This may help you understand why you act like two different people sometimes. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit sets its desires against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you cannot do the things that you please. So there's where the conflict comes in in your life. In Romans 7, 15 through 20, Paul goes on to say, What I'm doing I don't understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very things that I hate to do. Does that sound like you? The things you want to do, you inevitably don't do. And the things that you don't want to do, you inevitably do. The reason is you're not filled with the Spirit. The reason is you're not growing in grace. That doesn't mean that if you will stay filled with the Spirit and if you will grow with grace that you'll be a perfect saint. I'm not saying that. You always will have this sin nature. But I am telling you this, you'll get control of yourself and you won't be a loose cannon anymore. That's up to you. You can continue to live your life like a loose cannon. 
going off on anyone and everything or giving in to anyone and everything, or you can take control by using your volition to stay in fellowship with God by rebounding when you sin, problem-solving device number one, and by growing in grace, biblical orientation, doctrinal orientation, problem-solving devices number four and five, and having a personal sense of destiny, problem-solving device number six. Remember the 10 unique problem-solving devices that make up the flight line of your soul? That's what this show is called, The Flight Line. If you don't remember those, let me know. I'll send you the book free about the Christian problem-solving devices. So Paul says, I bring my body into subjection. I make it my slave, using the word doulos, a slave. I lead my body into slavery. And the idea is this that the body and the desires of the flesh are not only to be conquered but to be led captive. But remember, the language all throughout of this passage is figurative. So this, this is, he's not talking about inflicting actual pain on his body, but what he's talking about is subduing the appetites and the passions of his flesh which are located in the body. So the true position of our natural appetite is that they should be our servants, not them our masters. We should not be led by the flesh. We should not be led by the appetites of our flesh, but we should make them follow us and be led by us. And thus Paul goes on to say, if I don't do that, if I don't control my flesh, least that by any means, after I had been a herald to other people, I myself would become a castaway, to become a castaway, a proclaimer. That's what he is. He's a proclaimer of God's word to other people. And he said, after being a proclaimer, I myself would be a castaway. You know, I can think of nothing worse than living the Christian life and then coming down to the end of the race and God having to set us aside because we would not fulfill his plan. If you think that God won't replace you, you're wrong. In the Bible, the Bible is full of illustrations where God had to replace people. People that got out of his will, that didn't obey his mandates, people that were his children, he replaced them. Just like Saul, he replaced him. And he can replace you. If you don't follow the plan, if you don't stay in fellowship, this doesn't mean you're not going to heaven, but this means this, that God will set you aside and find somebody else that he can use since you're unusable and he cannot trust you since you won't learn his plan and obey his word. What a pity for God to have to set you aside. What a pity for you to come into heaven and not hear those words well done. You'll be there. You'll have eternal life. That's not the issue. The issue is you will have no crown to lay at the feet of your Savior because you are like the, the servant master who didn't look for the return of the master. The parable that our Lord Jesus Christ gave in Luke, the servant master who was occupied with other things. Think about it. It's critical. You must understand these things. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Hughes, 
saying thank you now for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.